You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 63 of the Life Ruins Podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living life ruins. I'm your host, Carlton Gover, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, as always, Connor Johnnan and David Howe. In today's edition of Just the Boys, we are talking about domestication as it pertains to animal domestication. And to start off with tonight's discussion, we are absolutely fortunate to have the leading, I'd say leading, public figure in dog domestication, our very own David Howe, ethnocynology, talking about domestication today, specifically like the first animal, and please correct me if I'm wrong, David, to have been domesticated by human beings is dogs. Is that correct? Before we get into this, guys, I know you wait to the end of the podcast and you you tune out right when it's over and you don't listen to the end. You're missing Connor's jokes and you're also missing the point where I'm like, hey guys, rate and review the podcast. I'm saying it now before we jump into it. Just, you know, go, pause, go to where you're at, Spotify, Instagram, you know, not Instagram, iTunes, Rate that podcast, review it, give us one star. I don't care. Just review it. Leave us a little thing. Makes us look better. Makes it better for you. Carlton, continue about domestication. Absolutely. Yeah. Great points by David. So prior to, and, and dogs come from wolves, correct? Can, is it Canis lupus? Canis lupus, yes, is the uh, the modern gray wolf, but it's possibly from an extinct gray wolf species, but it would still be in the genus Canis for sure. Now, in paleontology, there are bone-crushing dogs, correct? Like in paleontology, there are a couple of species that have the label dogs. Are they truly dogs as we know them today? Or do you know anything about that background in terms of taxonomy, especially here in North America where we have these like dogs that date back millions of years ago? Yeah, so like the Borophagenae, like or Borophagenae, whatever you want to say. Either way, it sounds weird. But they're like ancient canids that are... Uh, we call them bone crushing dogs, but uh, to answer your question, man, it, it's like gender or race. It's just words we attribute to something and then therefore they get categorized as something. And I was just on a podcast earlier today. This guy asked me great questions and are the most concise I've ever answered them. I'm like right now, but he asked me about African wild dogs and like, why are they different than regular dogs? And I was like, cause they're not dogs or wolves. They're literally in their own genus. They just happen to look and behave like dogs and like they're in uh, Lyacon Pictus is their names, like the painted wolves. And yeah, they're not dogs in any sense. And the bone crushing dogs are not dogs in the proper sense. But dog is like a Latin term for anything dog-like. So the, the Latin you know, name for dogs we have now is Canis lupus familiaris. So Canis dog lupus wolf familiaris, like the friendly one. So they're like the family one, the domestic one. So dog wolf friendly. Yeah, Canis lupus is dog wolf, is the, the the gray wolf. So, like, it's just confusing. So, in, in this episode, when we refer to dogs, let's just refer to domestic dogs. Excellent. Honestly, one of the coolest paleontological sites I've ever seen is the Ashfall site in Nebraska, where it's, where the last time Yellowstone went off, it covered the Midwest and Eastern United States and Ash a couple million years ago. And there's a depression in the natural environment, a bunch of American rhinos. They don't have the tusks. They're really weird. The whole point of this, there's like a couple dozen American rhinos that died in this depression. 
and you can they have fossilized bone crushing dog paws Whoa. that you can see on the surface and you can also see just how intact they are it's so cool the actual rhinos aren't even fossilized because the ash produced that a layer over the bones that negated the fossilization process so the inside of them is still soft and you can see where bone crushing dogs removed ribs and vertebra and pieces of the rhinos off and discarded them elsewhere in the site and you can see their paw prints wow moving to and from places it's absolutely fascinating you can also see a pregnant rhino it still has the fetus in the um, pelvis area solid crazy and that's when i that's where i first learned about bone crushing dogs years ago uh, Annie uh, Atwater yeah, is like a specialist in those. Yeah, yeah. Reach out to uh, what is it? Uh, Mary, Mary Annings Revenge. Yeah, Mary Annings Revenge. Still at one of Mary underscore Annings underscore Revenge. She's no longer at the Museum of the Rockies, right? She's she's no, relocated. she's here in the the Big Peach, big old yeah. Georgia. Yeah. All right, David. And one of my we we did like a a video before where I asked you about American Indian dogs because I had never thought about them before. Mm. Prior to one of Dr. Taylor's students, Dr. Taylor was on a previous episode of ours talking about domestication specifically to horses. One of his new students here in the PhD program does dogs. I never thought about them before. And when we talk about domestication, specifically of animals, we'll get the plants later in the podcast. What's the earliest evidence or what is the current train of thought as to when wolves became domesticated to become dogs, right? Because like all dogs today are descendants of, of wolves, correct? Yes. Should we step aside and define domestication first before we get into that? Or do we want to do that later? And we also, I mean, need, we also need to say that all dogs go to heaven. So that's also excellent series. <laughs> yes. So the definition for domestication Elysium. as it relates to animals, according to dictionary.com is the act or process of taming an animal for human use or companionship. Is that, so, a, is that a, a definition you all would agree with? I have in my PowerPoint very similar. It's the, the systematic cultivating or taming of a population of organisms in order to accentuate traits that are desirable to the cultivator or tamer. So okay. same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah so yeah. And, and humans basically have been in interacting with animals for as long as we've been a species right mm. but at some point we de- we decided that we wanted to change or i don't know if that's a decision a conscious decision or i would say dogs came to us like they not that they domesticated themselves in that sense i hate when people say that but like we didn't actively go out and be like, let's rope some wolves and call them dogs. You know, like that just was a natural process over time. But after that, when we get goats and cows and sheep and stuff, that was more of like a, okay, we're sitting in one spot now. We don't want to go hunt anymore. Let's bring them to us. And they start corralling them, um, which would be my guess. And so so that's, that's fascinating because I never thought about it that way. But dogs are the earliest thing we've domesticated. And we see them globally, correct? You see them globally by 13,000 years ago ago. or 15,000 when they're brought to the Americas. I personally think they're brought with the first wave, but I think so too. um, I'd, I'd subscribe to that. uh, Shane will text me after the written this and he's like, but uh, I think Angela's (laughs) last paper, Dr. Perry, a brilliant woman. uh, I mean, brilliant researcher all around just like 20,000 years ago is the DNA evidence. I think it's Perry at all is the paper. Is there like a mitochondrial Eve 
for dogs like there is humans. And for those that are listening, what I mean by mitochondrial Eve is that through DNA analysis, all humans are related to one specific female australopithecine through mitochondrial DNA in Africa. When you're talking about the DNA research into like when's the first dog, is there like the first mitochondrial I don't know. Is there yeah, like, uh, for my kind of dog, mama dog, yeah, um, mama yeah. dog. Specifically, I don't know. I, I assume whatever dog samples they got in those papers, period. All it's like, or I forget what the name of the paper is, but um, new evidence for the origin of the domestic dogs, something like that. Twenty nineteen paper. It's that sample of dogs. I would say is the closest thing to that. I don't think they have like one specific dog that's like. And then there's a the debate like, is it a multi regional domestication event, or is it just the one in Siberia twenty thousand years ago that spread? Because it, it, gotcha. it, much like the bow and arrow, it's a technology that then diffuses. So, like, if it's a great technology, that's just going to diffuse fast. Right. That's so, fascinating. So, so, what what is that site that you're talking about when you're talking about Siberia? Well, it's just in that last paper uh, they talk about how like all the DNA of like modern domestic dogs and like ancient dogs they find in ancient wolves clusters up in Northeast Asia. So in Siberia. If for whatever reason the people there got kind of stuck or like it was just cold and they like, you know, just liked it up there, it became their culture. And then the wolves there too, kind of isolated, had to quickly co-adapt because you're in the ice age tundra of northern Siberia or the forests of Siberia. And like you're going to be hunting a lot of reindeer together. So eventually you're going to run into each other. And that would be the, like my thing is talking about the domestication processes and the different theories as to how that would have happened. And all of that would have been taking place up there in Siberia. Whereas Angela does like the genetics. So you've been talking about genetic evidence, but there's also, it's important to acknowledge the bone, the faunal evidence that shows up. Cause that's the way you, you ultimately measure or try to say when the first dog is, is through like morph morphology of bones yeah. and whatnot. And that's kind of gets back to the point of, or what does domestication do to dogs and how does that appear in the skeleton? Yeah, that's a great question that segues into the last one too, or like also ties in with that. Earth evolution, it's not Pokemon. You don't give something a Firestone and evolve it, or it doesn't evolve at level 36 to Blastoise, right? Like overnight. Damn, right? that is such a good, that's great, dude. Well, I've been doing this for a few years now. <laughs> figured out what works. But right, yeah. So you can't just evolve something overnight at will. So in that sense, at 20,000 years ago, we have dogs. 21,000 years ago, what do they look like? So that's where we find all of those. When I say we, I was talking about this with someone else today. Like, I hate when people say they, like when they found or they, that leads to like academic, like fear. Like we don't want to, those. we as in like a collective, like Western canon have found this. That's why I say we, I should establish that. But I wasn't on these papers is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it, it doesn't evolve overnight. So we find like different, we as a, you know, academics find dog skulls in different caves around Eurasia, in Belgium, Germany, France. I think the Netherlands is another one. And then way up in Siberia and also in the Altai Mountains. And like, they look like dogs. So you compare them to dog specimens you have at your Zoark labs and they look similar, but they also look like wolves at the same time. It doesn't happen overnight. So at what point, I think that one's like 36,000 years old. They think one is a dog. And I think Angela has found her and her team that like those aren't dogs based on DNA. But like, again, it's a species name that we apply to something. So like the dog DNA that we have that 
all allocates to Northern Siberia over there. What is that kind of dog? You know, like it's just hard to determine. So I personally think like what we know of as a dog now is a fully in appearance by 20,000 years ago, certainly by the Neolithic, right? Like a pet dog, a domestic dog. But before that, upwards of 50,000 years or so, wolves are going to be learning what to do around people and like how to interact with them. And like, that's going to start changing their niche, but evolution doesn't happen fast. So let's say 20,000 years is the solid date. And I think I went completely far from your question. No, no, no. That was fascinating, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you're saying, you're mentioning that it comes in stages. So you're not just like, like you said, it's not just overnight. You get canids in different stages of domestication and they appear like that. And then you as a discipline have defined what a dog is. And that's kind of where you take, there's some morphology that is decided that this is a dog now. And there's some DNA that saying that, but there's also lots of cool research you can do about pre pre canid dogs. Right. As well. Right. And in the sense that we would separate regionally distinct humans like Denisovans, Neanderthals and Homo sapiens at 20,000 years, we can, distinguish between a dog and a wolf that population of wolves though is no longer around because they are dogs so did did any of the denisovans neanderthals or even the java hobbits is is there a current thought in terms that some of these other either subspecies of humans or different species of humans have domesticated dogs there's a book called The Invaders by Pat Shipman. The Invaders, the Invaders, Doctor Pat Shipman, and it talks about like whether or not he, Neanderthals had humans, or if humans and their dogs helped eradicate Neanderthals, or not eradicate, but you know the whole thing, like up, subsume them. But I, there's no way to tell, man, if they're like if the hobbits or if Denisovans or Neanderthals had wolves. There's just no evidence for it, other than like wolf skulls at caves. But we could argue that like those wolves were chill and just hanging and not eating the people. And they were like talking to it, you know? And what would cause wolves to interact with humans? Right. Like, cause like, as you said before, right. There's no, like if this was an Eevee, there's no firestone, waterstone or thunderstone to evolve them into a Vaporeon, Jolteon or Flareon. I think it is. Um, what causes this process? Cause you said early in this episode, like, after dogs, you see sheep, cattle, some of these other where humans are like, I'm not moving anywhere. I want those things to be close to me so I don't have to hunt them and I want them to be chill as hell. What was the catalyst for this domestication process to occur based on what we, we currently understand for dogs to have occurred? You just blew my mind because I just realized Evie. Kanto Pokemon, Kanto Pokedex number 133, I think. I think so, yeah. Does anyone verify that? 132, 133? If you're not not watching the YouTube version of this podcast, (laughs) Connor is shaking his head because he knows we're just freaking nerds right now. Uh, I believe it's 153. Anyway, he's a dog. Uh, That's a really good point. I mean, he's, he's either a rabbit or a dog. He's not a cat. Evie's a dog. Yeah, and Evie is the first Pokemon in, whoa, dude, in the original Kanto decks that... He, he like he's known for evolving into different things as like regionally specialized dude that's cool they knew what they were doing man awesome but yes <laughs> i got so sidetracked give me the tldr of your question because adhd 
Well, how did wolves become domesticated? That is the entire video I did with Stefan to answer all that. I would have to check. You'd have to check that one out. And the first one on my channel took like a two parter, but the TLDR of it is that humans and wolves are extremely similar animals in behavior and prey breadth. And, you know, in the sense we're primates are very social wolves have an extremely complex social structure. Uh, they communicate and they hunt with social cues and visual things. And uh, there's always like, if I say there's dominance hierarchies, I'll get canceled by like 50,000 people. If I say there's not dominance hierarchies, I'll get canceled by the other 50,000 people. So I don't talk about it, but we have similar social structures that humans would have tried to replicate and that wolves easily could have like adapted to with people. They're just like, like when I yell at Strider for trying to eat my food and I yell no, which will cancel me because some people are like, you can't correct your dog. You can tell your dog no. The, <laughs> like, sorry, I, I I stand on that ground. You can tell your dog no, dude. Like Pale- Paleo-Indians and ancient people in Siberia, they were telling their dogs no left and right because they're going to bite children. They're going to bite you. You tell them no. But yes, you, you can tell them those things and they understand cues. And even if they don't understand modern English or whatever the language was back then, they would understand the aggressive like no from somebody and would cower because a wolf does that when they nip at each other and they bark at each other. And it's really cool to think about how like ancient people would have done that. And and the quick way before we wrap this session up is like, I think Bernie Taylor had mentioned it when he was on here and like how people, you know, talked with animals if there's, and you said, it's not really how they talked to animals. It's like they knew how to read nature and things like that Uh, with dogs. Oh, Jesus. That fuck that, that comment by Bernie. Yeah. Whereas like, yeah, um, all Indians were, were freaking animal wizards. It's like, nah, dude. Right. In in not to say that he's Traitor. he's right, but in this case, like if you think of Pavlovian science, ancient humans would have communicated with dogs like via a language of food. Uh and like they both want food. They both eat reindeer a lot. They both eat elk. They both eat bison. And they're like, Okay, I will throw you some bison if you do not bite me. And it was like a mutual exchange. Gotcha. Food motivated. Of information. All right. So uh, we'll go ahead and take our first break here through segment one. We'll be right back with episode 63 of Life Runes podcast. We'll be right back. A centurion, Stefan, to you, plebs. Battlefield promotion. If you didn't see Stefan's story on June 21st, 2021, that is him shirtless in his garage wearing a Roman helmet with a broomstick on the top of it. Just what a guy. Yeah. Honestly, he's a lad and that made me cackle more than most things I'll ever have. So anyway, honestly, thanks for bringing us in. I saw his video. I saw his video on Sheffield archaeology. And he was talking about like the fall of Sheffield. Awesome video though. She- I know, I know Stefan listens. That was an excellent video on Sheffield archaeology. God, I hope they make it. Yeah, so that was at Stefan Milo bringing us in, and this is episode 63 of A Life in Ruins podcast, yeah. where we sometimes talk archaeology and sometimes talk about true facts, history, whatever it is. We kind of do is the, the backdoor pilot for the Ethnosynology podcast. Um, <laughs> how's that doing, yeah. by the way? You got Donnie Dust as episode one, right? Yeah, uh, you know, how's any other project I have doing? How, like, just you're too one busy, man. That's that's your thing. You're you are yeah. absolutely a brilliant individual. You're just so busy. I I literally haven't sat down until right now today. You're I mean, the yes man. You're, you're Jim Carrey from Yes Man. 
I know it's bad and it leads to just repugnant mental health issues and it's awful. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I need to write a book. Oh yeah. Tori and I are doing a book. Oh right. Yeah. I got to do this video. Oh yeah. I got to do like, shit, I got to exercise today. I got to do this. I have to eat this many fats today. I have to eat this many. Ah! <laughs> and it just like becomes a whole thing and I got to work 40 hours a week. So let's talk dogs. Oh yeah. I was on a podcast earlier today before this totally forgot about it. Right now. So what are the four characteristics of domestication, right? Cause we talked about it. We did the definition, but Physiologically, domestication changes an animal, correct? Like Strider, God, he's such a beautiful looking dog, but he doesn't look like a wolf as well as, you know, a corgi and other animals go through those same traits. So what, what are those four physical characteristics? He doesn't look like a wolf as much as a corgi does. Is that what you're saying? A corgi looks far less like a wolf than Strider. Strider is a gorgeous looking dog and I saw your post day when he was a puppy I don't think I ever saw Strider as a puppy I think the first time I ever saw Strider was I was coming to your backyard it was like a it was a graduate student meet and greet sure I, you. <laughs> yeah I remember I remember you and Cray put this post is like yeah we'll do this like digging competition and I'll because you guys wanted a fire pit but in the yeah. Facebook invite we'll do it we'll do a, a one by one digging competition you can excavate the fastest one by one that's friggin lame and then talking to you guys later, you guys were like, yeah, we just wanted a fire pit, wanted to con people into digging it for us. And I was like, all right, I didn't to do that. That was just me. <laughs> you just, know what? That makes sense. Just Tom Sawyer people and doing shit for me. Uh, also at work, if uh, there's something I don't want to do, or I'm like, oh, this is confusing, I will pretend to be confused, and Chris will come over and be like, oh no, it's it's pretty easy, man, and he'll just do the whole thing for me, and I'm like, all right, <laughs> it works. Anyway, so if that happens to you guys, I'm sorry, or if I've done that to you in the past. We were talking about traits of domestication. So we're yeah, corgis. There's like four. Yeah, cor- how did how did we end up with corgis? <laughs> okay, we're, so first of all, I need to, I want to see a wolf head on a corgi body more than. Uh, that's called a Swedish lapund. Look it up. Oh my god. Okay, that's yeah. gonna happen. So or a Swedish wolfund. I think. So I'm doing talking, it right now. So you're talking about there's there's four characteristics, morphological characteristics. There's right? there's six. Or, six or, or, to. Like a key to behavior for domestication is you need to have a diet easily supplied by humans. So wolves and us have the same prey breath back in the day. Yes, we hunted. And then two, it's a fast growth rate and short birth spacing. An elephant takes 22 months to have a ch- like a baby. A it gestates. Takes, yeah. Gestate. yeah, it takes, it's pretty quick. I forget what it is for wolves. I think it's a few months. Swedish valhoons or wolfhounds are ugly as fuck. I'll take the corgi any day of the week. Wait, look up the Swedish Lapund. That's what I'm looking up. What? Swedish. It looks like a corgi with a curly tail like a pug, but furrier. Oh, oh, that's the wrong one. Uh, Swedish. Laphund. L-A-P-P-H-U-N-D. Okay, it's Swedish Wolfhund. Yeah, that's the one I looked up. It's ugly. It's a, it's a corgi wolf, bro. I'll take a corgi. This is, I like what? the colors of a corgi. Oh, my God. This, this is a this wolf is with weird. stumpy legs, dude. Oh, get out right. of here. And no tail. I, mm. Wait, what? we're not looking at this, the same dog, dude. I'm looking at it right now. This, Swedish this? wolfhound. It's not a... It's, I'm looking at a tail right here. Yeah, it has yeah. a really fuzzy tail, but there's some pictures where they're cropped. I'm not a fan. Oh, I don't see. Crop, I see I don't see. crop dog tails. No cap, no crop. I saw um, a golden retriever with a crop tail the other day. It mentally broke my mind. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It's like declawing a cat. Like, come on, I'll do that. Yeah. Don't All right. Do, then anyway, back. All right, focus. One, diet time easily time. supplied by humans. Two, fast growth rate and short birth spacing. Three, docile temperaments. 
wolves can have docile temperaments and like when you feed them enough food they will listen to you like we see that with wolf trainers today so like if you think about this as goats and cows and guinea pigs and llamas like this is the case willingness to breed in captivity pandas will not do it in front of people so they cannot be dogs clearly don't have a problem goats don't have a problem five is a dominance hierarchy uh, this one's debated, but wolves, obviously, we can see up some kind of dominance hierarchy. There usually is like a head bull in like a cow situation kind of thing. And then do not panic when enclosed is the last one. You can have a few of these, not all of them. Um, and that's how it works. So any of the domestic animals, like goats, I guess if you trap Ibex in like a, you know, like corral, they'll just be like, all right, this is my fate. I don't know. I haven't trapped a wild Ibex to see. But... As you mentioned, those characteristics, like only some animals can be domesticated. Like they tried with zebras, but zebras has such a prey mentality that they're always skittish that you just can't domesticate them. And I think an extraordinarily interesting case study was the fox domestication project, which took place in Russia. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to get into that? I absolutely want to get into that. Like, you know, you know, Yama's awesome. However, like I watched, I think like years ago when we first started this podcast, I watched, we had one of the English participants of the wolf domestication project, give a talk at Boulder. And I, I talked to you guys about it immensely. Yeah. I, remember I was so it. fascinated by it. And how they talked about those traits. And because like the domestication of dogs happened so long ago, which is always interesting. Like Connor mentioned, all dogs go to heaven. However, with that argument, dogs are not one of God's creations. If you subscribe to that dogs by some definitions are technically human because they are a human invention and originally were a tool and it's only within the past like 200 years have dogs become more of a, uh, what's the word? Accessory? Yeah. Rather than like a uh, tool. There, there's tons of different indigenous like mythologies on like how dogs were and or like how they were created and things. And most of them say that like, like in, in more or less like the stories kind of talk about how they are some kind of intermediary between animal and human. Like, they don't see them as animal. They don't see them as human. They're, like, in the middle. So the Inu and the Mi'kmaq saw them as, like, traitors to the animal kingdom, and they couldn't chew on other animal bones. They could only eat fish. And Can I they, intersect in that? Yeah. Because, like, in, in Pawnee mythology, we have earth lot. We have animal... Like, so we have animal lodges in which, and like, specific animals have a place of being where they mm-hmm. produce... And it, I know Matt Reed, the Pawnee Nation tip, I was listening to this and like crawled you, and that's fine. There's animal lodges in which there are animal powers, but there isn't a dog animal lodge. However, dogs are intrinsic to Pawnee mythology, but there's this divorce between dogs and North American, specifically Great Plains animals. And like, Something I've always been fascinated about, especially being, you know, friends with you, David, and knowing through you, I've learned more about dogs, just period, things I've never thought about before. 
and thinking about the domestication process and how I believe, as you do, that dogs came to North America with humans rather than dogs being domesticated in North America, isolated from dogs being domesticated elsewhere, that even in our mythology, my mythology, that there are kind of like these little, I wouldn't say like splitting hairs, but like knowing what I know through you, there's other animals that have these lodges in this medicine that is taught from these animals to the Pawnee people. But dogs don't have that, but they are still have a, a, oh, I don't know necessarily say sacred. Dogs have a place, but it's different from the natural North American animals, which makes me really think about like, well, did dogs come here with Pawnee, ancestral Pawnees or ancestral Great Plains people or ancestral North Americans in general? And like that, that's my anthropologist thinking, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like to pick that up, like, okay, well, where's the dog lodge? Where's so, the dog medicine? And it's not there, but dogs are still in, integral to our being as Pawnees. Are they just lumped into the human lodge? I, I, I would, I would think so. Because that's the case in most societies. They're just there. They're just uh, there. Connor, did you have a question? I was just going to say, so were there, there were wolves in North America yeah, you, for around sure. around that time. So okay, mm-hmm. dire wolves and wolves when they got here. Okay, just wanted to make sure I couldn't I couldn't remember yeah. if there was like they were isolated. Can I go ahead and say on the record because I love and this is one of the reasons I'm really fascinated by what David talks about is like there's only a couple North American like if you look at Native North American indigenous nations, there's kind of like this one animal they subscribe to, like Lakotas are like we're the buffalo, Pawnees. What up? Hence the freaking wolf that's not the side if you're looking at the youtube version where is it it's on the really worst side it's here anyways he's pointing to his arm tattoos pointing to my to to specifically the wolf one it's like pawnees were known as the wolves of the plains and like our in, in native american sign language which does exist like our symbol for ourselves is wolf ears hmm. and that's how we would identify ourselves is like that's our animal that we really subscribe to. Like that's us. Like we yeah. consider ourselves as wolves and other tribes looked us, looked at us as such. Cause like, there's also some cultural stuff where like when we'd spy on other tribes or do other things, we would don wolf pelts. So if you were looking at us from the prairie from miles away, you would just be like, okay, there's a wolf being an asshole watching us. When really it was like a bunch of ponies. Like those are some good looking horses. Women, not so hot, but those horses, though, they're looking good. Well, shade thrown. Anyways, sorry. I'm, I no. apologize. David, please drop wisdom. Oh, you're good. Yeah. So, like the Mongol reindeer herders believe they're descended from wolves and that dogs and them have a shared kinship and an ancestry. And like when you die, you can be reincarnated as a dog or a dog can be reincarnated as a wolf or as, as a human. I mean, pretty cool. Uh, the Seneca. Up in New York, thought like, you know, during creation, like everything had the chance, or not everything, but just dogs had the chance to be like human, I guess, like their essence or their spirit. And because like dogs are promiscuous and gross, like the spirits were like, no, you can't be human. So like it's human's job to like care for them. So they like, again, they're seen as some non-human, but non-animal creature. And it's like, they've always been that way. Uh, which is very cool to me. And then, like, you know, the, the mythology all around the world, dogs have something to do with death. Like Fenrir 
his sons eat the you know the moon or the sun or whatever the anubis he's the god of the dead not not god of death he's the only god that like likes you and he's not he's always benevolent Cerberus guards the river sticks or like he's the like hades his pet and then the there's like dogs i think the huron thought there was a big dog that guards the river to the afterlife that you know if it liked you you could pass if you didn't like you you couldn't pass and then obviously the aztecs believed like a dog could like carry you across your dogs wait for you to carry you across the river into and then they take you through the nine lands of the dead like it's a huge thing because you don't know how to get there your dog already knows how to get through the nine lands of the dead for some reason anyway dogs have always been a thing in most of these indigenous cultures that i have researched and they also play like a significant role with death in the afterlife which is absolutely fascinating i mean one your tiktok's you have one specific TikTok series where Strider plays Anubis. Oh, yeah, it's part of, that's the video I made for Raven. Yeah. It is. Uh, like, I have an image in my head of how Strider, like what his voice sounds like. Mm-hmm. And when I watched your TikTok, where it's just Strider just like kind of panting at the camera and he has this like really deep voice. Maybe. No mortal. He <laughs> <laughs> just giggles so much. And it's such a good video. I need to do more of that. Yeah. It's funny. Strider's the best boy in the world. He's a good dog. Um, he's a good he's dog. Ass, he's such he's a, a handsome dog. dog. I can't stress that enough. Like out of all the Wyoming mountain dogs, like I wish all of them looked like Strider, but he's the. Yeah. Gil was pissed. I neutered him and I was like, I don't want a 90 pound hellhound running around like me <laughs> or my house. If I moved to New York again, we got very sidetracked from the Siberian Foss experiment. So I forgot that was the point of this 18 minutes I, ago. I, that was a great segue though. And like, I'm always like, I literally can answer anything. Uh, we could make this like three podcasts if we want, or I can just make my own. podcast. See, we started <laughs> this with like Connor saying, let's go through like all like two dozen domesticated animals and we're still stuck on numero uno i mean El Pero. Yeah, that's i think i suggested that to connor's dismay i can't remember but like when i hit them all no but i was i was i was i was pro dog come on i'm just anti-cat all of all of the animals hey, yeah do you have a cat and I, I know she's annoying winston <laughs> what your female cat's name is winston connor no 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 that's in the past i have a cat named calypso oh, calypso winston right. was broken and emily's cat human bonds Right? No, that was uh, that was Brooks' cat, Winston. No, it wasn't Winston. Sherlock. It, it was Sherlock. Yeah, yeah, that cat was large. Uh, anyway, cat. Let's start the next one. You can pick my brain about anything, but you, because we teased the Siberian fox experiment, we should probably talk about that, and then the rest of it can kind of be answered with Stefan's video. But yeah, if you want to learn what friggin' Soviet Union Russians did with foxes, this is in terms of like understanding domestication, this is nuts. So we'll be right back with segment three of episode 63 of Life Rooms podcast. We'll continue on with the Fox experiment. Privet, Minyazovut, Dmitry K. Baliev, and I am here with Joseph Stalin and Premier George Malenkov. And and comrades, I have I have great idea. Great idea. This we domesticate we domesticate fox. Duh. We domesticate fox and we released fox to capitalist West where they eat all capitalist cats and dogs. And then the capitalists will will crumble in society without their favorite pets. What this is a great idea, yes? My God. Um, I don't even know like what to do with that. Uh 
Yeah. Uh, who's Stalin? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're Stalin. Stalin for time. Oh. So <laughs> Dmitry Balyayev. Balyayev? Balyayev. Balyayev. Yeah. He's the, he's the brainchild behind the domesticated Fox project. Uh, yeah. he, he passed away, though, back in the 80s, I believe. I mean, the guy's a fossil. He's gone, probably. Mm-hmm. I think he died in the 80s because now that whole project has been taken over by Ludmilla. Ludmilla Trut. Trut. I don't know how to say to your Trut. Yeah. yeah, she's she's in control now. Wait, they're still, they're still, this is an ongoing. Okay, well, first of all, what is the Siberian, Siberian Fox experiment and when did it start? First off, it might be true. Tr- tr- I don't know, but I just meant like yes, that's the 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 author in whatever the word was. But um, yeah. So the Siberian Fox experiment. So Belyaev was a Soviet geneticist, and he went to uh, Siberia. One story I said said he was like exiled there, and he was supposed to do like I don't know like who came up with that. I don't know if that's true. But anyway, the guy is up there breeding tame silver foxes. So Volpe's Volpe's and. I believe Volpe's Volpe, can't remember. And taming them so that they can better use their furs or like, like you know, get the furs easier. So being a geneticist, he was like, all right, well, let's kill, get two birds stowed at once. And he bred a bunch of foxes that were like docile and then ones that were aggressive as a control. So when what he would do and his like researchers would stick like a gloved hand in the uh, the cages, and if the foxes cowered or like hissed at him, or if they cowered and like didn't really like a hiss at him, he called them docile. And if they like hissed at him and tried to bite the glove, he called them aggressive, or he called them dragons. And that uh, eventually, you know, after several generations of doing that, I think about thirteen, the docile group had essentially. This is debated, but domestication syndrome. And, but I mean, outwardly, they just showed, you know, floppy ears, spotted coats, increased eye contact with humans, and uh, like tails that wagged, and they were like more cute. <laughs> so, and the aggressive foxes were just like, nope. So, what that does is show us that, like, yeah. And the, the arguments with this are like twofold. One, it's just a terrible way to like treat animals like with the, in the cages and stuff. But, you know, it was the 60s or whatever. So we didn't have, I guess, compassion for animals or something like that. But it's still um, going on today. The cages are better, I think, now. But then oh, they were like little chicken coops. But the cages are better now. Under Obama, the cages were too small for the children. I've made it better. Make America great again. Who's president? <laughs> Who is that? Cool, <laughs> so sorry, I was going back to Trump. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, moving on. Um, <laughs> so this whole project, as you mentioned, the foxes they're using are these like gray silver foxes, which were specifically bred back in the day. They're like a subspecies of red fox, like you said, for their fur. And yeah, he started doing some Mendelian stuff with foxes to figure out domestication, but rather with like flowers or peas or whatever Mandel did. Yeah, and he was into Mendelian genetics, but uh, the Soviet government wasn't for some reason. I forget like what that deal was. And like the fox cages being bad is like one argument that it's like a a bad thing that contributes to their behavioral changes. And um, also he did it like extremely controlled selecting for those traits and like knowing what a domestic animal should be already. So it gives it a bias and he in 13 generations made a domestic fox, but like, 
you know, 20,000 years ago, it probably took way longer than that. It probably took like 50,000 years before that to like get to the stage. And that's pretty nuts, right? Because the more domesticated a species gets, the more breeding cycles it has, right? Yeah. And I, I think according to Angela's latest work, 20,000 years is like the genetic signature for like a modern dog that we have or like what we would call a dog. So I don't know what they would have looked like, but that would be like a domestic ash or domestic ish thing. But but didn't Bernie Taylor tell us that there are Burmese mountain dogs in Upper Paleolithic rock art from 35,000 years ago? He did tell us that. Yeah, those were words that came out of his mouth. Yeah. We also <laughs> were told that there would be a border wall, but I don't see one of those. Not that I wanted one. I'm happy there's not one. But you see, I'm just saying empty words. I don't want there to be dogs in those caves. Well, I mean, I do want there to be dogs in those caves, I should say, but I don't. How should I say this? There aren't the dogs that he's seeing in those caves at all. He, uh, he also says it's a crocodile and a giraffe. So, Hey, remember, red means stop. But we're going to go ahead. Another aspect of this this fox farm is it's still an ongoing for, fur producing place, right? Because they can only afford, I think it's like 500 foxes. And the foxes that don't make that 500 cut do become... Gloves, I imagine, which is mm-hmm. another ethical aspect of that whole thing is like, but it also supports the business. Yeah. It gets, you know, Russia. Know. And like, yeah, that was like a huge wave of people wanting domestic foxes, but like you still have a wild ass animal in your house and like you can't, it's like, you know, would I get one? Absolutely. But would I recommend <laughs> people get one? No. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, the, the implications of this, we don't have to go into like the whole fox thing because we've been going for hours, but would be that like, yes, you can domesticate an animal relatively quickly if you want it to. So my thought process is like once people realized, okay, these wolves are not going to hurt us or these like, you know, we share kinship with these animals which I, I believe would personally be, if we want to get post-processional about it, would be the case that they would start selecting for it. Like they would know, like kill the bad ones and like the good ones and stuff. Or like the bad ones, just they just kept away with like fire and stuff. So yeah, I mean, that's the implications of that. And then uh, ironically, the, the earliest date for dogs we have now is also in Siberia. So cool. Oh, is that is that that 20,000 year old date you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Dope. Yeah. And that's like that glaciation kept all those groups of people, your ancestors really up, up there. And like, those are the, also the people that went eventually over to, you know, the Americas and brought dogs with them. I know some people don't think that, you know, paleo Indians had dogs, but I, I think they did. They would have had them at that point. So I don't know. But if we want to say that they they cross in boats, then it's really hard to have dogs. But the Polynesians did that. Did it well. There's dogs on Hawaii when Captain Cook got there, so it's possible. I saw a dude eat shit at the reservoir the other weekend because he tried to get his dog on the paddleboard, and the dog was not about it, flipped it, and the dude just wham, smacked his head on the rocks <laughs> on the side. He's uh hang out in Rapa Nui, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Connor, what were you going to say? I was going to say the same thing, something about dogs on paddle boards, because that's, <laughs> oh, that's exactly where my mind went, so... <laughs> I guess I have a philosophical question for you, and I think we kind of hinted at this. Is so is this experiment worth figuring out what that like as a proof of concept for domestication? Like, is it worth going through and you know maybe treating animals a little cruelly to ultimately see if domestication is possible? 
Ladder 14. Um, <laughs> character piece. So gonna, <laughs> this is anthropologist David uh, and then David's actual, I don't know, let's say. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like you, you, you gotta, you gotta break a few eggs to make some cake or whatever the thing is to make an to omelet. Make but omelet. also there cakes do count. Yeah, so it, it's what it is. Like there was just so much, like Da Vinci and like all of them were just cutting animals open, like doing whatever they wanted. We like found some stuff out like that. Like we we have the basis of it now. But yeah, do I recommend like we treat animals poorly now to do research? Definitely not chimps. Definitely not apes. I don't want that to happen. I really don't want any animal to get hurt if it doesn't have to or like be put under unnecessary stress. Spiders. Take all the um, spiders and snakes you need. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan of those. Uh, O'Connor has a spider bite. He's yeah, spider spike. spider bite that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die from. So that's cool. Yeah, but I don't know. So um, everything I just said was a character piece. So just, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a tough question. What do you guys think? I don't know. I think it's... I, I, I kind of go back to like uh, they have statues of I can't remember where the statue is, but they have statue of like lab mice somewhere uh, it's because in Russia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because they they've basically tested everything on most things that are like a similar to humans. They tried to test on lab mice or anything like that. So they they these animals have been used for long periods of time, but have done a lot of good for humankind in general. Yeah. So I, 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 I go both ways. I don't think we need it anymore. Yeah, I think there's ways around it now. Yeah, yeah. I can't say that people in the past were significantly bad or significantly good unless they did really awful things. I mean, right. fundamentally, we have the same brains as we did like 10,000 years ago. People sure. are still people. But we just didn't have like collective knowledge of like the animal kingdom and the fact that they can like ration and, you know, all that. They also only had the same fauna that were in their area, unless they were like, you know, at the Colosseum in Rome, saw some exotic stuff, you know, but the first animal in space, I think was a dog before it was a person. And then they sent a chimp. Ludka? Luca? Uh, What's the dog's name? I I have it on my post-it notes here to do a a post about it. in space. But it might have been, they might have sent mice before that. Laika? Laika? Laika. There we go. Sorry, my yeah. son was coming out. Latka. No, they do not send fried potatoes in space. Um, <laughs> but sadly, the dog did not come back alive. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Dogs will over. They'll eat until they pass out and die. So <laughs> that's like something. I remember my like old World War II vet uncle-in-law. Uh, I remember telling him that he was like, you see, you're he's Irish. But he's like, your cousin there, she'll she'll eat all the food and she'll get full. She'll get full. I mean, he doesn't have an Irish accent at all, but when he was like, your dog there, he'll just keep eating and keep eating until he upchucks it. And I didn't know what upchucked meant, so I had to ask him because the guy's from the 40s. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I think that's how the dog died. It like overate because the, the food dispensers like didn't work right. It overheated. So the true cause of uh, Laika... His death wasn't made public till 20, 2002. She died like hours after getting into space. Overheating caused by failure of the central R7 sustainer to separate from the payload. I don't know what that means. I'm not a science oh. guy, but. Damn. I guess I only knew the old explanation. Uh, I mean, you I know, could it's be Wikipedia. Wrong, yeah, fucking anecdotal. shoot me if I'm wrong. I'm just trying to do, be quick about this with the Google. You can be totally right. Yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> what other questions did you guys have for me? I remember like we th- we're doing this segment two days later, but. A week later. Oh, um, I have no perception of time. 
Yeah, if you're watching the YouTube version, I'm back at my house. That's why the sudden drastic change of scenery. We wanted to move into, unless Connor has a different idea, I'm with the remaining minutes we have left, like what happened to Indian dogs? I know we did a, a video on it a while ago. Yeah, this is like my most requested video too. And I'm like, guys, we did one already. But like, I don't have one on YouTube, I guess. But yeah, it's... uh. All the dogs came in with people uh, in the Americas, like Paleo Indians, or at least like the archaic, uh, pale- archaic uh, indigenous peoples, came over in later waves. Brought dogs. Anyway, those dogs were here, and they were like a dingo-looking type thing, and a small little dog, just brown, uh, like a Carolina Swamp Dog or a you know Carolina Dingo. And those turns into all the other breeds and stuff that are here, but they all got completely replaced by. The and they interbred with coyotes, they interbred with wolves, they're back and forth and stuff. And actually, black wolves that's from breeding with a dog, like they, there's no black wolves in the wild. Hmm. Well, I mean, there are now, but it's from in, intermixing with dogs, yeah. And they all got replaced when the Europeans came because there's just so many more European dogs that uh, came here. And like, like in the case of the Chihuahua, yeah, it's a um, it's a like you know, it's a Mesoamerican dog in origin, but like it has bred with so many European dogs and then been bred back to a Chihuahua at this point that it's just a European dog. There's no more pre-contact dogs, which is arguably sad. And like, we don't have any, but I mean like it's just dogs are dogs. Like they just, they just slam each other all the time. So like, they're just gonna, the dogs do what dogs do. It's not really like, I don't think that's like a genocide in itself. It's like, you know, the culture is gone from those dogs and we don't get to see them anymore, but it's just, you know, nature people could have chose not to do it but yeah well they could have chose not to have sex with the dogs too but they they could have chose not to you know rape and pillage an entire continent but anyway on this episode of bestiality with life and ruins (laughs) uh, (laughs) this might be a stupid question so all evidence points to people bringing them over and not domesticating them again in north america like uh yes currently the evidence suggests that they were not domesticated here okay um and that's just yeah. gen- genetic that all matches across the continents and, and whatnot. I still think it's a valid theory. There's no way to test it. But like the man's best friend, mammoth's worst enemy, like you bring dogs into an ecosystem that have never seen a dog and people, those dogs can bring rabies. They can bring all kinds of different worms from the old world, all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, when the paleo Indians got here and all this megafauna is here, they could be, you know, defecating in rivers putting those like jardia in that like all or you know whatever kind of worms and then if that has rabies and it bites a rabbit with rabies or something like that and then a saber tooth bites that animal then that gets rabies and then bites mammoth you know it's just it could cause a hyper disease and things like that which would cause like a really quick wipeout of animals just like smallpox did to the people here there's no way to test that because you can't really see it but it's an interesting thing to think about because you have this like like, I mean, well, and on the podcast on this note, like if you, you're in the entire history, if you think about like this, Bob talks about it, entire history of the world, you have nothing going on until the first homo habilis like cracks a rock together in half. And then like you have this like boom of tools and like humans just populate the earth like millions of years later. In that time, no animal except like a remora fish, like attaching itself to a, a, an eel or a, a manta ray. Wow. That's different like really cooperates with each other like that in the way that humans and dogs do. Like we literally speak to each other and like 
the North American megafauna and fauna here just not only see like what looks like a wolf, which is usually bad news coming, but they just see this giant like hairless primate with sharp rocks coming at them and like they're teamed up and they're like, oh God. And then they all get wiped out either from climate or that, but I don't know, just all around the world. It's just a cool relationship that exists. And I think I, maybe I said it in the first segment, but like dogs are a cool artifact of our like ice age past because they're like, they're a link between us and the animal world. I think it's like why we love dogs so much. They're a human technology. Yeah. I think Angela calls them a, a biotechnology, which is cool. And those like the videos of them hunting the cats and stuff or the, the mountain lions, it's just like you're sending robots to like hunt something. Like really, it's all it is. Like you, you, you program them to do something and they do I don't know. Dogs just fascinate me. So the Paleo Indians released biological warfare on North America. Uh, Latvotin. Are they accusing uh, them of early genocide? You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to point <laughs> fingers here, but I think it's, it, I, I don't know if that's like my main theory, but I do like to ponder that theory just because I like dogs, so I'm biased, but like, it's interesting to think about because dogs yeah, sure. can cause a lot of harm to an environment, just like the one under my feet drooling on my feet right now. It's gross. Get out of here. He just moaned. Um, I think that's it, right? Yeah, that's, that's it for us for this episode. We'll be back, I guess, like what, next time we'll do? We'll continue this domestication talk, talk about different animals. Oh, right. Yeah, we're going to do all the other animals and stuff. We but can do like more dogs a, and stuff, too. Yeah, yeah it looks like we're doing, doing a series now. We'll do that, and then we'll get really boring and go into domesticated plants. <laughs> Actually, though, yeah, they can talk be. about corn. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, so. Amazing. <laughs> David, thank you so much for uh, letting us bombard you with questions for this episode. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating to hear you talk about dogs. You're such a, a, a fountain of knowledge. You're a bark box of dog knowledge in the archaeological record. It just keeps coming and coming. You also, the other day when we were talking on the phone, you told me I was the cryptocurrency of archaeology. I forget right. what the context was. I did. But <laughs> I did. We'll have to, I'll have to explain that later. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes. Tell us we suck. Tell us we're good. Whatever it is, all that um, stuff helps us. And remember, no cats. Yeah, and also reach out to yeah, us. No cats. If you have questions. Also, I got awesome stickers in the mail the other day from Amelia. Oh, yeah. She's having some, too, a couple of weeks ago. I, I I just got back from the field, so I just got them. She's awesome. Definitely look up look up her. When you have we got to get chance. her on the show. We can get, like, an ASL interpreter. Absolutely. Just, I was like, thinking talk. about that yeah. today. Um, yeah. We definitely need to do that. I need to throw those on a water bottle. So, yeah, that's been episode 63 of Life From Its Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. Why is corn the most successful aggregate in the world? Because it's not wheat. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. 
Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.